Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. We play this song on the radio. We play this song on the radio. Welcome back, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to Now That's What I Call Music, Volume 22, Side B. This is your now for March 2019, but we are taking it back to July of 2006 to finish up the back end of this album. With me today, as always, I am Chris Podcast, of course, is Nico Vasillo. Nico, how are you? You know, I'm doing great. It just occurred to me that, okay, we're on side B, but Queen Bay was on side A with a B side. Mmm, Cute. I mean, most of these uh, artists that we have coming up are just B sides to other artists. We've got like we've got like the B side Coldplay and the B side uh, John Mayer, and um, uh, Nickelback is just a permanent B side uh, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Uh, so, Nico, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, it's we're about a month removed from it now, but two probably by the time this drops. Um, how did you feel about Maroon 5's halftime show? If you saw any of it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got into like, I, it was actually really pleasant. I need to say that it was really pleasant. It was a really positive debate. Here's what I think about Maroon 5's halftime show. I think literally nothing of their performance. I think they put on a really, I think they put on a Grammy performance at a halftime show, right? But I think the bigger conversation we need to have is that this country treats black women like shit and whores and celebrates over-entitled rich white men. And that is the beginning and end of the story. I Mm -hmm. do not care that there is the conceptual standard of decency and indecency when it comes to men versus women. It is legal for a woman to be breastfeeding, so it is legal for a woman to have her breasts out. If we are saying that men cannot control themselves, if women have their breasts out, that sounds like a man problem, not like a woman problem. If she's asking for it when she gets raped because she can't control herself, well, then he can't control himself and he's asking for it too. You know what I'm saying? So here's what I want to say about that halftime show. I think that Adam Levine is a really generic-looking, tatted-up white guy. And I think he has a phenomenal vocal range. And he puts on a fun show. And he seems like he might drive the neighborhood minivan to soccer practice. And he deserves no harassment for his part in society's constructs against gender and race. But, like, 12 years ago, we watched a young white man rip the, sh- rip the top off a-, a black woman, and we spent the next 10 years as a society calling her a whore. Yeah, there, there were two things that um, caused me, personally, to lose my innocence. Um, one was seeing Janet Jackson's nipple, and the other was 9-11. Yeah, I'm. That's. I don't think there's another way to put it. And we so vilified her. And somebody pointed out in the thread that I was in this discussion. Somebody pointed out that um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers took their shirts off in the 2014 performance. So why is everybody making yeah. a big deal now? Well, because in 2014 we didn't have white supremacists running the White House. So in 2014 the NFL was not highly politicized for its refusal to accept black people and their struggle in this country. So it comes down to the rumor is that Rihanna was offered the Super Bowl and turned it down 
in support of the protests. The rumor is Cardi B was asked to be at the Super Bowl and turned it down because of the protests. Maroon 5 were the third choice and accepted it. They were the first white choice and they were the first people to accept. So that sticks out in my mind a little bit. And I think I watched a white dude sexually parade around shirtless in an effort to entice and arouse and excite. And I think he was praised. And I think he did no better a job than Janet Jackson. And I think she nearly had her career destroyed. Because one more time, at the end of the day, this country just doesn't love black women the same way it loves rich white men. And that's that's 100%. Um, from a musical standpoint, well, 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 they did make sure to trot out. Um, they did make sure to say, but guys, don't worry. Maroon 5 has black friends, so everything's okay. We're the NFL. We're, we're not racist at all. Um, and just from a, a performance standpoint, from Maroon 5 alone, like, well, first off, Sicko Mode just sounded like it's just a better song than like anything Maroon 5 has done in the last eight years. But they sounded like shit in the first half of their little medley. Like, he sounded genuinely off key. And when he came back, kind of after the 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 interludes and, and Travis Scott and Big Boy came back came in, um, he sounded better. Like I don't know if maybe he had like monitor issues or or, or uh, ear ear uh, ear monitor issues, um, but he sounded like shit. The, the band sounded tight. He sounded like shit for the first half of it, and then yeah, he it's just it, I watched on YouTube because I, I did not watch any. I didn't watch a single fucking minute of that game, and I'm I'm apparently it's it's, it's for the best because apparently it was just fucking boring, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, Amanda Smith on uh, on on Twitter at Amanda R Tubbs with two B's. Um, she tweeted something that I, I really loved, and um, I started I, a couple people added to it, and I have a couple of my own. She said that Adam Levine is tattooed like he's the main character in Memento, but the mystery is where he left his jewel. Oh, and I love that. I love I, uh, that. I, I, I came with the, I came up with a couple of other things that I thought Adam Levine reminded me of. Uh, Adam Levine has tattoos like he's a creator wrestler in a WWE video game in two thousand and six. Um, Adam Levine is tattoos like he's the second in command of Jared Leto's Joker gang. Um, I also enjoyed Adam Levine looks like the um, look what we have to uh, look what we have available twenty minute tattoo board. Those <laughs> yes. you get to walk uh, in and it's he, anything you can get done in an hour for forty bucks. He looks like one of those. He looks like he looks like if a Red Hot Chili Peppers album got struck by lightning and came to life. Uh, and uh, last one, he looks like he looks like he fell into a vat of chemicals wearing an affliction shirt, and it just melted into his skin. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I also saw, um, oh, what was it? It was like Adam Levine took his love of Ed Hardy too far. I saw a few <laughs> like that. Um, I do think my favorite thing about this the the entirety of the Super Bowl was the tweet that said, "Wow, both of these teams are playing like the winner goes to the White House." Yes. Yes. Was that Bess Cobb? I don't know. It wasn't her. Who I want to. I want to sort. I want to cite that that tweet because it is a very good tweet. Um, I'll find that. But also, Rich Eisen's um, tweet review of the halftime show was: "This is the biggest moment in kids' bop history." <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I also thought it was quite good. Um, yeah, big big shit like that. Twitter, Twitter is like a hell site um, run by a probable neo-Nazi, uh, and it's losing money hand over fist. Um, but occasionally it makes me laugh really hard. You know, Twitter is one of those amazing discussions in American history. Twitter has never turned a profit. No, uh, most, most Silicon Valley vulture capitalist shit has never turned a profit. Uber is also losing money hand over fist. Yeah. And you know, 
I personally will never use Uber because of how much they support Trump, so I'm happy to give my money to Lyft, who only slightly support Trump, I guess. But, you know, it's one of those things. Twitter is... I don't... I think Twitter will be the first one to go. I do. I think of Insta, Twitter, Facebook, I think Twitter is, you know, next. Uh, that that good Super Bowl tweet was just Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Uh, good, good, good follow on, on... I think she writes for... She writes for some TV show. Anyway, uh, they're they're more famous than us. We don't have to give them that much credit. Uh, so yeah, B side of now. Speaking of uh, generic, boring white people, uh, we've got a real run of them. Uh, oh boy, is this the whitest side of a now we've had so far? Like just spiritually, spiritually white. Yeah, I do find myself feeling really. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, to to date uh, the recording of this episode, uh, it's so white it has the sudden urge to uh, put on blackface and run for governor of Virginia. <sighs> it's so white that it gets accused of doing blackface in the 1960s musical. Oh, we live in a hell world. I mean, yeah. But, hey, 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 oh, I just, goddamn, I just nearly yanked my headset off my head with great force. Um... <laughs> This is it's this is one of those examples of where the now was not well thought. The the now did not have no one stepped outside of this now and said, "Hey, let's make the best record we can." That is not what happened here. No. No, again, like you were kind of saying, this was the thrift store buys. They got they got a discount Beyoncé. They got 36 Mafia on clearance and it's it's just the scraps. It's it's the Thanksgiving leftovers of a now. And here they are. We are in them. And here they start with uh, Nick Lachey's What's Left of Me. I feel like you should start this one off. Nick Lachey's What's Left of Me actually kind of has a special, kind of a special place in our, in our, in our discussion. This is one of the final boy band appearances okay. in any regard. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, everybody else is done for the day. Everyone else is packed up and is moving home. Everybody else is retiring to their McMansion and the minivan and their, their fun little lives in suburban L.A. And that's what they're doing, man. They're retiring on out. This is the last entry by... Jessica Simpson or 98 Degrees in that whole little cluster. Mandy Moore is well done. While I believe Justin Timberlake will show up with some of his later work, we have seen the end of J.C. Chazé yeah. as well as the rest of the NSYNC team. The Backstreet Boys could show back up. I can't promise that they don't. But yeah, this is it, man. We're definitely transitioning on out of that era. The only person who continues to show up is Britney in her many, 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 many career relaunches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Justin will be showing up because we, uh, I think we are one now away, like the next now, away from kind of the resurgence of Timbaland. Um, the, the second wave of Timbaland post Aaliyah. We're going to get to the Justin Timberlake, uh, Nelly Furtado loose era of Timbaland's production. So. That is at least something to look forward to. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this song, 
I feel like I've heard this song like 15 times already. Like, sure, he performs it adequately, well enough. He, he belts out the notes when he needs to. Uh, but like, fucking hell, like, I'm pretty sure I've heard 35 variations on this song just in these 22 nows alone. They, it, this is definitely an example of somebody said, oh shit, oh shit. We need to capitalize on your recent divorce as quickly as possible. And yeah, this was not well mm-hmm. thought. And I was curious if this was kind of the a song that was kicked off from that. I, I, I guess just from the contents of the song that it would be the divorce song. But I figured that would have happened later than 2006. Uh, but so that you saying that makes makes a ton of sense that that's what this song is. It feels like every record company and, and songwriter for pop artists has like six or seven back pocket songs that just kind of have some light acoustic strumming that builds up to a, a, a big chorus uh, and, and sounds exactly like this. I completely agree. It is generic for generic. It is mm-hmm. dollar bin. It is, is a copy of a copy. <sighs> okay. Well, we got to talk about this one. Um, Bad Day by Daniel Powder. For some reason in my mind, this song, and I don't know if this song came out around this time, or if it's later or earlier, um, this song runs neck and neck in my mind like they, they come as a pair like like the we are the champions and we will rock you of shitty whiny white guy stuff this song pairs in my mind with you're beautiful you're beautiful they are around the same time actually okay though it, it's sense. important to note that they're not actually around the same time bad day oh. is actually from a 2005 record it okay. was released I couldn't tell you the copyright. Oh yeah, the copyright on this video is 2004. Yeah, the the, the song is actually from um uh, Europe. Maybe he might be he might be European. He might be Canadian. I honestly couldn't tell you. I think he's. It might, I think there's no accent. It has to be Canada. But it, it's not an American single, and it was okay. Um, featured on a number of mall insert record playlists starting in 2004 mm. because my friend Linda used to work at Foot Locker and I would go visit her at Foot Locker in 2004 and they'd play this fucking song. So mm. that sucked. And then um, it went number one or at least successful overseas in 2005, came back here in 2006. This song sucks. This song is not as annoying as your beautiful, which just sounds like a South Park character, but um, this song does suck. As a reminder, as a reminder, that song, uh, You're Beautiful by James Blunt, is actually about a guy mm-hmm. taking an enormous amount of LSD, seeing a woman with another man, but due to the acid trip, believing that she is meant to be with him and that the glowing aura around her from the subway is actually angels pushing them together. So he's coming up with ways to get rid of the guy 
She smiled at me on the subway. She was with another man, but I won't lose any sleep on it because I've got a plan. The song is literally mm. about stalking well. a woman that he's never met <laughs> while she's terrified of the fact that he's tripping out on drugs. It's literally that the angel is laughing at him when she thought up that she should be with him. This It's a horrifying song. And James you just Blunt, elevated this song. Like you, oh, James Blunt is comfortable. It used to be like that. a one, and now it's a one and a half for me. Thank you. Yeah, he and he's totally like, I don't know why you all think this song is beautiful. It's really about losing your mind and deciding to kill someone. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> but he makes it money. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, now if we ever get to that song, I'm just going to splice that in so that we don't have to talk about it. Uh, what is so bad about Bad Day? Uh, Sure. So I was banging this trick for a while, right? And he was, okay. he was so like, oh my God, if like, let's just assign me a number. If I'm like a seven out of 10, I thought this guy was an 11. And Kevo kind of told me that I had hot blinders on, that it's more that this guy was exactly my type, just this thick Latino boy and just so hot. And I couldn't even, oh, bodybuilder, so hot, so hot, so hot. Anyway, he, um, really hope he doesn't listen to this. God gave him, like, with, like, seven hands, like, because way too much of him was literally beautiful beyond belief in every way, but God forgot to give him one thing. God even gave him a sweet personality and a kind heart, but he did not give this kid enough sense to make change for a nickel, and that's tough. He would sometimes go to tell me stories, and the way he would tell stories is he would be like, so did you hear they're remaking that movie? And I would be like, I did, actually. And he'd be like, okay, well, then did you hear that they're making this change? And I'm like, I did hear about that change. Yeah, I heard that they're doing A instead of B. And he'd be like, no, guess what they're doing? And I'd be like, I just said it was A instead of B. And he's like, no, they're doing A instead of B. And, like, you would just stare at him blank face and blink a lot of times and he would sit there so proud of himself smiling and he was so beautiful it kind of didn't matter but oh my god okay now I need you to take that person and to put them in a creative writing class with me okay and I need you to give them a prompt and the teacher says okay guys I want you to write something about having a bad day okay It can be anything you want, a short story, a poem. I want you to help me understand a bad day through writing. Write me a bad day. I swear to God, Mm. this is what that kid would write. Yeah, and, you know, I've... You had a bad day. You're taking one down. You sing a sad song just to turn it around. Like, don't lie. And, like, part of it is the song is really on the beat. Yeah. Do, da, da, da. It is the most annoying piece of music in the world. I've, I've always had an aversion to the kind of, like, one day everything will be better song because I find them condescending a little bit. Like, I, I get the, I, I get the reason why they exist and I understand why people latch onto them. And, I think in concept it's fine, but for me, they've always felt a little bit, like I said, condescending, a little bit, um, a little, a little bit presumptuous, maybe. Um, and this is like maybe the worst example of one of those songs. And there's another example of this later on that I think is still not great, uh, but it is certainly like ten thousand times the song that this is. 
because this is just like this is a saltine ass song and you're right it is so perfectly on the beat it is the progression and and just the composition of the song is so like obvious like each each chord like you know exactly which chord is next uh there, there's no surprises there's no tension to it it's like a song that's meant to be played when you're like sort of paying attention to the trivia before a movie it is it is a song that is made to be ignored. It's a song for the produce aisle. It sucks. So Kevo and I call those songs trailer trash. Yeah, when they're the perfect song for a movie uh-huh. trailer, but they have absolutely nothing of substance to them. It's really funny because someone said to me that okay, if the problem with the song is it sounds like every other song, then in a matter of speaking, you're either just saying you've heard it before or you don't like, but whatever and. I've, I've had to explain why I hate this song in particular a number of times because so many people seem to like this song, which I don't understand. Who? Right? What? what you, but I, I don't fucking get it, man. But it was a humongous hit, so think about it in that regard, right? I was asked to compare this to a piece of music, and I compared it to Secondhand News from Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. I said, okay, that's a song that's kind of twangy. And kind of has the same da, 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 kind of to it. Here's where they're different. Secondhand news is this, even if it kind of is that sort of walks you to the next note and you feel like you know what's going to happen, it has a perspective that isn't the same thing that a child would present. <laughs> I literally feel this song could like, that's why I compared it to that very beautiful boy because and I, I just want to point out that he's such a good guy and such a nice guy and if he hears this I'm so sorry man you're so nice but really you know um, this song there's there's sometimes people that do really well because they're so accessible this song is so accessible right. that I think it's embarrassing um mm. I the, I make it you know we all talk about how everybody has a novel in them right everybody has a story yeah. I actually think everybody has a song or two I think everybody mm. has a melody in their heart that they've literally just kind of like it's kind of their go to hum when they're not sure what else to do for me it's uh kind of like a new jack swing jumping sevenths kind of sound kind of like uh, 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 kind of thing like that's just where my heart goes and it's in all of my songs right Everybody's got that in them, right? And I truly believe a sixth grader could have written Bad Day. Yeah, it is very journalism. Uh, journalism. It is very journaling taken into like a song form uh, with no editing in between whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, I will never forget. I will never, ever forget for a million years one time I wrote a piece of music and uh, I showed it to you and you were like um, I'm going to be honest with you if one of my freshmen turned this in I would be like you literally don't understand how to use an analogy or a metaphor because I, I this makes me wish I was dead <laughs> I was like no let me take a look at that and like swiped it out of your hands 
<laughs> I went back and I. This is a just a this is a test and 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 you passed it right. I swiped it at him. I'm like no. And I'm like looking at it and I'm like oh my god. It's literally every line has an analogy. It was like all meant to be like I could save you and like it was like um you're tied to the tracks with a bomb strapped to your chest in a secret location. And I'm like I'm like looking back on it. And I'm like oh my god. This is a bad day. Oh no. And that's that's what's wrong with this song. We've gone on and on about it for like 20 minutes, and I almost think like it's mean at this point. The guy made a bazillion dollars off of it, so how bad can it be? Where's my bazillion dollars based on writing a song that everybody has experienced on multiple occasions that isn't at all impressive? But, you know, it's just a really forgettable piece of music. Except it's not forgettable, which makes it worse. I think the next two songs are like an example of of that fat, racist, record executive character that we've invented. Puffing on a cigar and being like, hey, these, these people are, are successful. They're doing good. Get me one of those. Get me a Coldplay. And uh, that's how we have the phrase over my head, parenthesis, cable car. more of a song than Bad Day is. So, I'm gonna take a second, and I'm gonna say something weird. I, for me, the Frey are uh, Trailer Trash Prime, and in that regard, I think the Frey do something other people don't do quite as well. I'm, like, I'm, I'm really serious about this. I think the Frey are... A, so, one of the things that Coldplay have that... Early Coldplay, the, the best of Coldplay... Right, the best of Coldplay is always a little weird. There is something minor key yes. macabre about like all of the best of Coldplay. I think there's some. I, I've I've said it a million times, and I know I've said it on this show a million times. Every song on Parachutes has a unique identity, and it's you know I love a third of it. I really really like a third of it, and a third of it kind of bores me. But it's a great record. There's only four songs on a rush of blood to the head over and over again. It works in movements, and it is still to this day one of the greatest pieces of alternative rock I've ever heard in my entire life. I think it is a perfect album in so many ways. And there's always something a little bit weird about them. The saddest songs by Coldplay that break me, like In My Place and Trouble. There's a wistfulness. There's a longing. There's... There's... There's Chris Martin drawing himself out for you to hear. And in right. their crunchiest songs, right? In Politic, in, um, uh, Daylight, uh, no, Whisper, Whisper. Um, in, in their crunchier songs, there's this kind of like, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's the easy listening version of Nine Inch Nails. Like, there's an atmospheric macabre that they package in this really pretty Dave Matthews meets Nora Jones way in this really accessible way, but it's still weird as fuck. At the end of the day, early Coldplay was always very weird. At their core, they were a weird band, all yellow. So I took my turn. What a thing to have done. And it was all yellow. Your skin and bones. Like, it's... They're strange as fuck and they became i mean their first album has a uh, which albums don't panic on that's the first track off the first album yeah 
Yeah, I mean, there you go. That's that song is a is a, a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy. And like, uh, you're not you're not getting that from the Fray, right? And that's what I think the Fray did literally perfectly. I think the Fray sat down and said, "How do we take all the weird out of Coldplay?" Right. So let's say we took Coldplay, right, and we extracted okay. them into okay. two bands. It would be the Fray and Muse. Okay. It, uh. Okay. Right? And I think the Frey do a great job emulating a really mainstream version of Coldplay in a way that Muse are a more realized, artistic version of Coldplay. Okay. I just think for what the fr- I don't actually okay. like own a Frey record. I really don't. I don't own a single the Frey record, and I've seen five fucking episodes of Grey's Anatomy, right? Well, no, I've seen like <laughs> 12, but like, you know, it's... The point of the story is more what the fray do, they do better than just about anyone's done since Hootie and the Blowfish. They created incredibly synthetic, artificial emotion in pop music in a way that took all the best things of the time and and produced kind of like a, you know what, if you want to know what pop rock sounded like in 2006, just put fucking the fray on. Just hit the fray. It's fine. That's literally their, everything about pop rock in 2006. Their music is so inoffensive that to anyone with critical ears, it becomes offensive. Y- yeah. No, 100%. It's like that fucking song Rude by Magic, which I think is like the worst piece of music of all time, right? I don't know what that is. Why you got to be so rude? Don't you know I'm human? It was a bunch of white guys doing a reggae song about wanting to get permission to marry a, a girl from their dad. Oh. Oh, yeah, that song sucks. I think that's, like, the worst piece of music ever. I think that's what happens when the fray aren't good. So, like, if someone's, like... That's how I feel about that song, uh, Cooler Than Me. I think that is one of the worst pieces of music ever written, and I feel like that is what happens when you give the fray a drum machine. You know what's really funny? I actually super fucking love Mike Posner, and I think uh, that that's, uh, like, it's not a great Mike Posner song by any means, but that dude's been in the music industry for, like, 30 fucking years. He just randomly made an album at one point. Uh, like, hmm. and, you know, I, I actually don't hate that song, but I would literally never hit play on it on purpose. I one time <laughs> saw an, uh, an acapella group do a version of it, and I was like, oh, now I get it! Oh, no, this should not be a song. But like I still understood it finally. Well, I mean and and yeah, I think that's a good a good segue that you could uh well, real quick before I, I bounce off that segue. Um like like a Paul Blart. Um what? All right, gun to your head. You have to take one of them. Do you take The Fray or One Direction? No, one not One Direction. One Republic? Oh yeah, one Fray Republic. or One Republic? Um Oh God, that's like <laughs> that's like light of them or like that's oh God, that's Sophie's choice. Yeah, for real, me, me, me. Mm. That's that's Sophie's choice here. <laughs> me, like so. I hadn't seen Sophie. Like so, there's a lot of movies that I I never saw, and I just kind of like fake it till I make it. Okay. And uh, there's a really famous story between my husband and I, where it was my husband and my two sisters and I, and we were all in a room, and we were trying to play the movie game, and you had to guess the movie by description. And I wasn't right. sure, and I was trying to interact with everyone. I was like, hey, guys, I have a question. 
the movie Hitch is about an angel, right? That's the, the plot of the movie. Hitch is an angel. And it turned- We've talked okay. about this, which I think is an extremely reasonable guess. <laughs> Thank you, right? So then um, there's a couple of movies. I'd ne- so I, <laughs> I had gotten the <laughs> – Okay, hear me out, okay? I wasn't really clear on a couple of movies at one point in my life, and I maybe didn't know where Sophie's Choice, Out of Africa, and Kramer vs. Kramer were all not (laughs) one big movie, and I thought the plot of Sophie's Choice was Feral Streep and her husband are in Africa, and they're divorcing, and the child... Sophie has to decide which of her parents to kill, and... I think you almost accidentally made Romancing the Stone. Let me tell you, when I found out what Romancing the Stone was, (laughs) I was very confused, because I thought Romancing the Stone was the name of the Princess Bride, which... Jesus Christ. Which it turns out was not connected to the Princess Diaries in any way. Oh my god. I at no point was concerned Nor was that it connected to Father of the Bride. Basketball diaries or motorcycle diaries were connected to one another in any way, so we're okay. Oh boy, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> is this why you got your own movie podcast? This is literally something I point out every time these people give me a microphone to talk about movies. I thought there were four Godfathers until 2006. So, I thought Goodfellas was just like Godfather 4 or something. I I thought they just ran out of Godfathers. There was one Godfather, there were two Godfathers, then there were three Godfathers, and now they're the Goodfathers. And it turns out that was all (laughs) Casino and Heat also not connected movies they share nothing they are not part of a franchise or a shared universe but for some reason i thought casino and heat were connected as a kid i don't know i don't know oh man well uh (laughs) the preview channel really fucked me up if the fray was a guy saying get me a cold play teddy geiger is almost certainly Somebody saying, get me a John Mayer. You know, that's, that's really a thing. Teddy Geiger was part of this massive movement for nonstop singer-songwriters. Uh, Teddy Geiger, Ben Yellen... Uh, you also, and they were more on the piano side, but of course you had other guitar boy, guy, man, people, yeah. all very John Mayer, Howie Day, Matt Nathanson, Jason like Raz. Jason Raz, kind of. Yeah. I'm just going through my musical library. That's all that's happening. Right. Ari Hest, yeah. OAR, all of these groups really just were kind of like. What I think is really funny, and it's it's been proven by him becoming the lead singer for the Grateful Dead. John Mayer really was just like the bridging point between um, fuckboy and a pair of Calvins and jam bands. Like, what happened was for years and years, dudes who could get pussy had been moving into jam sessions and were like, no, it's not just about exploring our art. It's about exploring our art and exploiting women. And that's just that whole movement. You know, John Mayer, 
it, like um, one of the greatest quotes you've ever said in your entire life, Chris. I swear to God, I quote this once a week. Oh no, I, I probably I probably don't even remember saying it. <laughs> one time, you and I were talking about the about Thirty Rock and its implications in in television and the ways in which we have to for Thirty Rock to be as good as it was. We had to make certain allowances for reasonable suspension of disbelief. It is right. un believable for even one minute that Liz Lemon could be that incompetent at her job by the end. Ah, okay. I start Because the show starts with feminism and develops into lemonism because she stops being good at her job, yet she gets to keep it every week anyway. However, what you and I were discussing at the time, because this was only the second season or so, was we were discussing that it's literally illogical that Liz and Jenna would ever be friends. Mm. They, It just it doesn't feel right. And I said, you know, the original Jenna was going to be Rachel Dratch. Right. And she was going to be a much more grounded character. And you said, well, they did the best with what they had to work with. I mean, it's no one's fault that Rachel Dratch looks like an alien, but she does. And so <laughs> I frequently say, look, it's no one's fault. You look like an alien. You frequently quote me just insulting poor <laughs> Rachel Dratch. Jesus, that's the quote you pulled from me. I'm well, sorry. I Rachel need to Dratch. actually say, Rachel Dratch gave a badass interview one time on the red carpet where she flat out said i don't look like other women so i don't get roles but yet everybody tells me how funny i am figure that out and i actually do think rachel dratch's unrelenting uh dedication to her craft and her humor i think that's part of how women like melissa mccarthy were able to break through and be non-traditional in terms of the standards we apply to women's beauty and still be able to make a killing in comedy. So, Rachel Dratch, I think you're an amazing woman, and your appearances on Suburgatory were incredible, and you're awesome, and never stop dratching. Um, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. no one's fault when someone looks like an alien, right? And that's actually how I feel a lot of times about Dave no. Matthews. Dave Matthews kind of... Oh, I yeah. actually like follow track. me on this. Dave Matthews looks like somebody inflated a balloon and drew Dave Matthews' face on it. He always looks a little surprised to be here. Yeah, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> well, yeah, his his voice sounds like someone slowly letting the air out of a balloon, so it checks out. And he loves to talk about being from Africa because he is <laughs> from South Africa, so he is a really unique. Entry and I the, the South Africa thing actually is just that he is in that regard kind of inaccessible. He is so out there and so not what America understood how to absorb in 1994 when Under the Table and Dreaming started to become you know a household record. And John Mayer really represents the again the Calvin Kleinsification of the Jam Session. And the jam band, if you've ever seen him live, he does 20-minute versions of Neon. He does 10-minute versions of Come Back to Bed. He will play Vultures for 17 minutes long. And it's always great. It's always impressive. It's always very good. And if you're into that sort of thing, it's it's incredible. But that was nothing that, like, mainstream America wanted. It's just something they were saddled with for a while. And that is why so many of these performers are so forgettable. You know, Vanessa Carlton is better remembered as you know, Michelle Branch is remembered as every way or so many of these performers, 
you know, Jason Mraz, if Jason Mraz hadn't released I'm Yours and that hadn't been one of the most successful songs in the history of music, he would have been remembered as the John Mayer who sang faster. Ryan mm. Cabrera is just John Mayer with parrot hair. I actually thought one of the artists later on was possibly Ryan Cabrera. <laughs> Which one? Oh, Ashley Parker Angel? Yeah, I have no, I had no idea who that was. I thought it was like three different people before I heard the song. I think Teddy Geiger, because so many of those artists came out in such a short period of time, and we don't even think back when we say, you know, oh, this wave or that wave took over anything. Teddy Geiger has become kind of a footnote. I do think it's interesting that Teddy Geiger recently returned to prominence, at least returned to the media, for lack of a better term. Uh, Teddy Geiger recently came out as a transgender woman for, you know, yes. it's so important to remember that this is such a hard and new thing for people still. It is really uh, complicated, and while you know, for the media to quite follow and, and catch on to these things, I think it's really great. She likes her name. She likes staying Teddy. Uh, she is going to use uh, female pronouns mm-hmm. uh, to, de- to go forward to describe herself. And I think that's really incredible. I also love that she's engaged to uh, Stevie from Schitt's Creek. If you're not watching Schitt's Creek, you are missing like 22 of the most incredible minutes on TV every week. It is such a considerate, impressive show. And uh, it's powerful and Catherine O'Hara is well Catherine O'Hara is just a goddess it, but literally this is her best role of all time bar oh. none bar none bar none there are she's so okay it's not a Netflix original series and she's so fucking funny on it Netflix makes commercials of her performances to advertise the show on Netflix despite the fact that it's not a Netflix show hmm. it's she hmm gives the performance of a lifetime and the show is created by Eugene and Daniel Levy and Daniel Levy is the head writer and the main driver behind the show and he plays a he's a proud pansexual man so that's like you know there aren't a lot of me out there having another pansexual identifying man makes me feel really cool makes me happy makes me you know proud that this term that I've really come to I've really come to identify with because I don't love identifiers but man I love being pan um, he's having another pan person out there and his character is pan and they, they talk about polyamory and they talk about queerness and it's a show about learning and accepting and I just want to remind everybody that the crows have eyes and anybody who watches it is going to laugh at the crows having eyes and Kevo just heard me and started laughing in the background. So, sorry. didn't a, bu- a bunch of Manchurian candidates just got activated throughout the world. I can only dream. It is it is so funny and so good with such a good heart. Uh, thank you, Teddy Geiger, for sharing your truth, sharing your life. It is so scary for a trans person in this world, trans woman or trans man. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We are not accepting of trans people. Trans people have the highest rate of suicide in this country. Please, if you know someone who is transitioning or is, or is gender questioning or is unsure of their gender identity, just take an extra two seconds, ask them their pronouns. It's such a minor thing. If you can remember that Squirtle becomes Wartortle, becomes Blastoise, becomes Mega Blastoise with the Mega Evolution Stone and can be shiny, and these are the shades of shiny, you can remember someone's pronouns. It's not that 
damned difficult. It's certainly not that difficult to ask. And uh, I do think this is a really cool song. I think this is a great song. I'm really glad we talked about the stuff we talked about instead, because it's really important to make sure that the trans community knows we're there for them. Uh, it's a really average song in a forgettable sea of ripoffs of one guy. Kelly Clarkson, Walk Away. Just not a great Kelly Clarkson song. No. Uh, I did remember the song, but this this feels like, as you said, trailer trash. Like, this could be in any number of movies uh, from around this time starring, I don't know, like Jennifer Garner or something like that, falling in love with uh, a pre-McConaissance Matthew McConaughey. I don't know. But, like, this is just a piece of shit song. It's um, bland, boring, um, dipping into, like, mom rock for Kelly Clarkson about five or six years before she should be. And this is on Breakaway. In the context of the yeah. record, it's fine. In the context of, of, of Breakaway as a bigger picture, it is actually fine. It's, it's, um, Breakaway is not just a great pop record. It's a really emotional pop record and it's very confrontational for what it is. You know, Breakaway was a really significant growth period for her. And so much of it does verge on that asshole music I was talking about earlier. I think Because of You is the most annoying song. I actually really don't like Because of You. It is it's on really my bad. list of asshole music. When you have a record that's just nonstop baller performances, every single performance is incredible. When you have a record like that, you do need fun little escapes. On a record of emotionally overwhelming songs, this is a fun escape. On a terrible pop collection, this is a terrible addition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this would be a song that like doesn't make a pink album. Oh, that's a great that's I love that. That's I really, really, really identify, yeah. This would not make a pink album. This would definitely be like a pink B-side. Yeah. 100%. I hear that. Uh, Katie Tunstall, Black Horse and Cherry Tree. Ooh-hoo. I came across a place in the middle of nowhere with a big black horse and a cherry tree. Ooh-hoo. Ooh-hoo. This song is in, like, speaking of songs that are just like, ubiquitous like this is in like 75 beer commercials car commercials uh hotel commercials probably just like like you know that you know that you've heard it yeah and can i be real that like that you did that so recognizably down to the the breathy voice you put into it it's that level of imitable and i she also is responsible for suddenly i see which is another song (laughs) that you heard in every commercial on everything. Uh, I believe what happened here is she took an incredibly long time between records. I believe this record was called eye to the telescope and it was, uh, I honestly couldn't tell you what year it came out in what country we got it in. She's European for sure. So we got it in 05, so I'm going to assume it was 03, 04, or 05, because uh, European music tended to come over a year or two late at this time. Stuff was taking a little while. Uh, it's it's an 04, and she's Scottish. Yeah, and I think she just took forever to get to the second single, or the second album, and I think that's what did her in. This was a really interesting period in time where the turnover was at an incredible rate, and like we just said, Teddy Geiger was one of a million people who... We just, you know, got cycled through. KT had some pretty recognizable songs, but, you know, I think Fiona Apples as fast as you can 
that piano riff is one of the most recognizable piano riffs of all time because it was used in absolutely everything for 20 years but because that record is actually coming up on its 20th anniversary in a year or this year actually so you know that that's a piece of music that is super recognizable because it's used obsessively kind of like um Wicked World by I forget who it Woohoo! Oh, I thought you were gonna go with Woohoo by uh Blur. Oh see, yeah, you know, there's just certain pieces of music that okay. Funny okay, I can't exactly say that whatever happened to those guys from Blur. I guess I can't say that, but you know like <laughs> Well yeah. <laughs> those radio head losers. Whatever happened to them? So um <laughs> Please don't beat me up, Joey. So fucking, he, just, he's just he's just making soundtracks now. Jeez, Ugh, what a, damn, you know what a gorilla. So, Whoever, um, how many people saw Suspiria? Right, I say like, it was a really good soundtrack and a really good movie. Well, I mean, fine if we have to be serious for a moment. <laughs> well, kind of, kind of like what we were talking about with. Um, you know, fat cat saying, get me one of those. Um, I feel like, I feel like around this time there were a handful of singer songwriter, either behind an acoustic guitar or behind a piano. And KT Tunstall was not shampoo commercial enough. She may have been like beer and, and hotel commercial, but she was not quite shampoo commercial enough to be a Vanessa Carlton or a, um, Natasha Bedingfield. You know, she wasn't quite that clean, but she, uh, and she had her own sound, but she also was a little too poppy and mom rocky to fit into that like indie mold of of a feist or a Nico case. Um, so I think she just fell into this kind of limbo uh, between both of those worlds and never really settled in anywhere. And and that then you know the world has not heard much of KT Tunstall since then. No, but she has released several more records, so hopefully she uh, continues to thrive. Okay, so I had a real um a real roller coaster with uh what the fuck is this song Girl Next Door by Saving Jane. She is the prom Real roller coaster um, here because first I, I expected this song to be a new metal song, um, and I don't know why. And then I thought about it, and I think it was because I was thinking of the song "Diary of Jane," which is is not the name of a band, uh, but but a song. Um, but I think that's what I was expecting. Then when I heard this like light kind of girly power pop. Um, I was surprised, and then I was doubly surprised because Taylor Swift just stole all of the song. Straight up, stole like, this song like word for word. This is just a Taylor Swift song. Like I could not believe I've never heard of this before. How is this not a bigger deal? I think because this song gets forgotten, and I would also hazard to look into. And I, you know, I don't know. This is, I'm not trying to be on the Taylor Swift's a monster train right now. That's not what's happening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but, um, to be honest, I would be interested in knowing what label this is on. Because if this is on Taylor Swift's label, they may have just bought it. Uh, this is Universal Music Group. 
And what's Taylor Swift? Um, Repub- uh, Republic. Wow, so she's on a label I've like, never heard of. No, it's owned by Universal Music Group. Mm, huh. The plot thickens. Huh. Interesting, interesting. I'm not like trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything. Oh, I, I think we should be conspiracy not, theorists. <laughs> I think uh I think Taylor Swift ate saving Jane. And I think uh no, I it, it makes a lot of sense to me that um shortly after this didn't make the money they wanted it to make, despite inevitably putting a lot of money behind it, that they found a better version. I yeah, I, I mean let's not, I'm not really surprised that I said you should double check what label owns this. I'm really not surprised that I turned out right. Yeah, that's that's like the conspiracy is real. Hashtag Taylor Swift's conspiracy theory. Um, you like, probably didn't expect the... it to actually be owned by <laughs> Universal, did you? <laughs> no, uh, I will be the Mulder tier Scully, but like, or I guess the Scully tier Mulder. Yes, I will be the Scully tier Mulder any day. I am saying this is real. I'm saying that this is a. This is a thing. It's more of the Tori Alamaze thing. It's more... And people probably don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Um, uh, let me pull up these lyrics. So, you know, you know that Taylor Swift song? Like, I, actually, one of the Taylor Swift songs I kind of like. Uh, he wears short shirts, I wear... You belong t- with me. I, what? She wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts. She, she's sheer captain, I'm on the bleachers. Um, you belong with me is the name of the song. Yeah. Well, the course of this song is she's the quam fucking jeez. She's the, the course of the song is I'm in the marching band. She's the band. prom queen. I'm in a marching band. She's a cheerleader. I'm sitting in the stands. She gets the top bunk. I'm sleeping on the floor. She's Miss America. I'm the girl next door. That's just a Taylor Swift song. Uh, yeah, and here's the thing. The reason that that matters is because if you listen to the the young woman who sings this is voice, I'm assuming she's young because they're at least trying to pretend she is. And the lyrics are juvenile enough that because they're clearly detailing they high school. Um, yeah. This woman has a very thick, heavy alto to her voice. Mm. And Taylor Swift has a softer. I don't. I'm not saying, like, I think she's got a dreamy voice, but she's got a dreamier sound. And so you've got yes. this confrontational yeah. woman who kind of sounds like Shakira. And then you've got Taylor Swift. What would you rather listen to? The teenage girl that's going to sound like she's going to moan sweetly in your ear in bed? Or the teenage girl who's going to be like, my last boyfriend fucked me harder? Which one do you want? <laughs> yeah. And we, we kind of just talked about how the, um, how sometimes lyrics can be a little too um, diary. And like that, the early Taylor Swift songs are just like girl teen diary stuff. Like teen girl squad shit. Um, and yeah, that does sound better coming from uh, one of the elves from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and that's really what it is. Like, I've made this joke uh, before, but like, I have a friend who is a very short, skinny dom. And... You you can just use my name. (laughs) I adore you. And... But he's like, yeah, it sucks because like I, I'm super into tall guys, and you know, so like sometimes I'll be like, you know, yeah, you should call me sir, and they'll be like, lol, sir, and I'll be like, look, I'll get on a chair and whip your ass, I don't care, and like that's like it's so hard to take things seriously when the container doesn't match what you're expecting. I actually think right. one of the reasons that 
Alana Douglas, right? That's her. No, that's Ileana Douglas. Alana Glazer. That was embarrassing. Um, oh. I think one of the reasons Alana Glazer works so well and is able to do what she does, because when you look at her, you have no idea what's about to come out of her mouth. So then when she says the yeah. most insane thing, it's amazing. And that's why she pairs so well with Abby. Oh my god, I really... I'm not ready to say goodbye to Broad City. I think Broad City is one of the most true, real, important shows yeah. two women have ever been given the opportunity to make. And I'm so glad we had it. And I'm just not ready to say goodbye to it. Bye, though. Because you know it's ending. Ashley Parker Angel, let you go. As you just heard, this is a kind of pop punky song. It kind of sounds like something that Sugar Cult would put out. Or like if one of the guys quit Good Charlotte. Yes. Um, I thought from the picture of this this gentleman that he it would sound like acoustic-y kind of uh, poppy folk shit, like a, a Ryan Cabrera kind of thing. Uh, and then I was like, oh, no, uh, that's, that's Ryan Cabrera. Is Ashley Parker Angel, like, was he in O-Town or something like that? Uh, well, nope. Uh, this is just, like, this is just pop punk from a guy who looks like he could have been a fourth Hanson brother. No, no, he is from O-Town. This is Ashley Parker Angel from O-Town. Wait, wait, are you shitting me? No, I'm fucking telling you. This is Ashley Parker Angel from O-Town. He reinvented himself. He started doing Broadway. He did uh, a rock album. He did three different reality TV shows in six years. Ashley Parker Angel used his connections at MTV to work with new producers, new live entertainment managers, and parlayed it into two new reality shows at MTV, and then I believe went to be on the third, like, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here kind of show. He also did, if I'm not mistaken, Hairspray. This is 100% the guy from O-Town. Wow. My mind's kind of, yeah. So, like, he just just molded and he just anamorphed into a member of Sugar Cult and and put out this song, which, like, it's not... The song is fine. He's terrible. Bad, but like I've said before, and I guess this can just bleed into this can just bleed into all American rejects move along. We can do them together. But like think that all american rejects are one of this is not one of their best songs but i think they're one of the better pop punk bands of 2004 2008 because like this is a this is a genre that is dying and what is around them is dredges um so like that elevates this let you go song to like you know it's like it's pretty good for its contemporaries well i just think it's actually exemplary of a huge problem in music at this time i know i've made the example before i'm pretty sure at least when Avril Lavigne was first trying to get famous, she recorded songs in a thousand different genres. Katy Perry, before being a hypersexual, hypersexual, right. great. But Katy Perry, before being a hypersexual uh, pop punk, uh, pop dance diva, she made Christian rock. Um, this is something that is kind of hard not to notice, and here's why. When Mariah Carey first released Vision of Love. Now, don't forget, Mariah Carey is 
no matter what we want to say about it, Mariah Carey is part black, and that's important to this statement, right? Because who am I to question anybody else's ethnic identity? Anyway, <clears throat> so she released her first record, and her first record is R&B-tinged, soul-tinged, but it's a pop record. It's more New Jack Swing than anything. Her And, like, I don't want to cry if you know anything about Mariah Carey's early music. That's an asshole song. She releases Emotion, which is super inspired by soul music. It's dripping in every song. She releases Daydream, which is... No, Music Box, which is primarily a pop record with some soul elements, but it's a pop record. She releases Daydream, pop record with some R&B elements. By Butterfly, P. Diddy produced the record. What P. Diddy didn't produce, Missy Elliott produced. Everything is signature Missy and signature P. Diddy all the way throughout. There is no question Honey is an R and uh, Butterfly is an R&B record. So when Caution came out, uh, her newest record this year, or last year technically, and everybody was like, yeah, there's just nothing identifiably Mariah Carey on this. Okay, well, Mariah Carey has been releasing albums since 1989. It's 2018 when she released that, but let's even say it's 2019. We're saying in 30 years... Her music's changed too much to be recognizable. That doesn't really seem fair in a world where we let people release records you've never heard of and then let them reinvent themselves very suddenly. Mariah Carey actually didn't reinvent herself. She Mm. progressed over 30 years. Now, progressed regressed, whatever you feel it is in terms of quality exchange, that's a different conversation. But this song for Ashley Parker Angel represents getting to completely change your identity without any question. And it there's a reason he couldn't make a career out of this. It's disingenuous. We still know you were the guy in O-Town. I mean, I I would root I would root for that change um, because most of the the you know your Justin Timberlake's like the most adventurous they get is like slightly sexier pop like you, you don't get a massive boy band change um, so I, you know I would be rooting for it if I knew at the time who it was but like it's it's just yeah like I said it's a it's like a, a third album sugar cult song it's it's not great it's really generic for and and it's it's really generic in a genre that is pretty bland at this time of of it's 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 basically on hospice at this point like july 2006 for for pop punk it's like even fallout boy is like all right time for us to become a pop band and that's actually what i want to say about the all-american rejects in terms of you saying that they're one of the better pop rock groups at this time i don't know what to base that on because their first record is in my opinion their first record is um kind of all filler it's swing swing your star Hmm. and all filler i think that thing sounds like it could have been by pieces of any band from that year and then when this record came out i just kept thinking to myself it would be cool if you guys had a sound instead of being told by the label quickly reinvent yourself because the thing that stands out about move along the, the record this is on i think it's called move along i forget or it might be Dirty yeah, Little is. Secret, whichever one of the big singles from this album it's named after. Yep. Um, it it operates in so many versions of this. It's kind of indicative of music at the time, 
Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson went through like 10 versions of the same genre on that record, and they all complemented her voice really well, but I felt so much of what All American Rejects did on this record was super disingenuous. So much of it doesn't really check in as pop punk, kind of checks in as like uh, matching dance pop. It's a little bit closer to, I would say... Uh, the, the electronic stuff that Fallout Boy would go toward. I think pop punk mm. in some ways requires a punk element, something gritty and real to latch onto. Otherwise, I would just want to call it like poser punk or something because to call it pop punk and say that it has that, that, uh, that zeitgeist of, of emotional rebellion. Of, of that ferocity that drives the idea of rebellion. It doesn't even need to be clearly, like, we're angry. But I don't feel like the All-American Rejects ever embodied the idea of a band in a garage trying to make it. I feel like the All-American Rejects wanted me to buy shampoo. I mean, I completely agree with you that it is a misnomer to refer to a band like this as pop punk. I think that's just kind of a leftover thing. Like when, when someone says pop punk, um, like if I really want to stay within that genre, um, I'll go back to like the replacements, yeah. even maybe the Ramones. That's who I was trying to think of before. Were the replacements? Um, that's uh, that's who did the woo woo. That's what I was trying to think of. And and like yeah, there's there's nothing punk about any of the people in this band at all like you can call it power pop we can, whatever whatever genre you want to put it in um but of of what is coming out at this time um and i i do think they have a sound i don't think this album is, is super as electronic as you remember it being take them over like someone like relying k who we had on one of these previously i would take them over fallout boy anytime i would i would take a fucking axe to the face over good charlotte uh some people will probably <sighs> some people will probably take Panic at the Disco. I'm not a fan of them personally, but I could I could get that. I can I'll give you that one. Um, but they they just do they sound a little bit different. Um, mostly because the lead singer is is trying and he has a voice that isn't just nasally and whiny. Um, they have more. Oh, and see, I think he has by far the nasaliest, uh, whiniest voice. He literally squawks at points. He literally goes. Ah! over and over again over like See, when i when i hear the nasally whiny of of that the the pop punk genre i think of like actual like nose holding like tom delong newfound glory kind of uh say it ain't so kind of like ain't i a stinker voice. so you kind of hear it in like that okay so i think part of it is my when this album came out i was dating someone who tori amos this, this band and so yeah. i heard this record literally four or five hours a day for about two and a half years. And I mean, that'll kill anything for anybody. So right, so like when you're like, I think it's less electronic than you remember. I'm like, no, I literally remember them needing to bring out like a keyboard ist, a different artist, like somebody else to come out and play a giant synthesizer while everyone else just sort of stood and bopped on the stage and Tyson sang. Like I, I have such strong memories of this record. And I think it's not even just that it killed it for me. I think my overexposure to this record forced me to overanalyze it because I didn't like it in the first place. And then I had to hear it a hundred times a day. So I think I'm coming from a really unfair place on this record where I'm like, yeah, 
this record is the devil. And like, I just can't step outside of it. The only thing that was able to kick this record off of the iPod rotation was when Nelly Furtado's Loose came out. And there was no stopping me from keeping that on repeat. <laughs> Hell or Water's High, that boy was not stopping me from playing Do It on repeat. I think next episode we get our first Nelly Furtado. I can't breathe. I can't uh, breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The light. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I think, I think, again, I'm comparing them directly to their peers of the time. And I think, I think they got some bops in comparison. I think, uh, I think their sound off that first album is a little bit more interesting. Um, they like, they were doing more stuff with drum machines and, and they weren't just a, you know, four chord power pop band. Um, but the songs that stuck were the last song in Swing Swing. So they, they became that in the future. Yeah, I think they got some pops. I think Another Heart Calls is good. I think It Ends Tonight is pretty good. I think Jerry Little Secret's fine. Swing Swing is definitely a bop. I think think It Ends Tonight is the most bad day song in the world. (laughs) When darkness turns to light, it ends tonight, it ends tonight. I think think that's just clever enough for this genre in a genre where you have Pete Wentz and Brandon Yuri lyrics. I'm sorry. Or, or, um, or fucking My Chemical Romance lyrics. Like those, those three motherfuckers are, think they're, think they're way too clever. They're the kid in creative writing class who wrote an ending that it turned out it was all the dream of a dying man and thinks it's the smartest fucking thing in the world where uh, All American Rejects guy is just like fine watching Commando. I think the difference is though like All American Rejects guy is like the dog sat on a log and ate a frog and then goes, yeah, now suck my dick. And like, he thinks he's just as great. No, no, he really does. Like, I actually really can't stand, like, I think there is such an ego to so many of the All American Reject songs. I do actually think so many of their lyrics play off like they are just as egotistic as Fallout Boy or Panic at the Disco, but because they think they're chill about it, they think you should be too. Like, I I mean, that's, that is, all, all power pop has some sort of, um, most of it, so it's it's one of two things. It is it is the woe is me kind of like sad boy, uh, early Blink One Eighty Two, newfound glory. Um, uh, God, I can't even name another band in that in that field, but I'm sure I listened to a ton of them when I was fourteen. Um, and then there's that very egotistical kind of like you said, Fallout Boy, uh, Panic at the Disco, and um, all of it is just kind of like it, it is a shitty misogynist. Uh, genre like I, just, I always think of the Hard Times article like a uh, uh, power pop lead singer asks you to respect all women except the ones his songs are about, uh, and it's just like yeah, it's all shitty, it's all crappy, but it it encapsulates a specific point in a suburban like like cis white boy's life, and um, I think a lot of them, a lot I think a lot of people like me cycled through these bands briefly for three or four years at that right time, and. Um, Going back to it is an embarrassing, painful thing to do, and I've just found that the one with the most bops are these guys, for the most part. Them and, like, early, early Blink-182 are the ones that um I can kind of still come back to and not be like, fucking what was wrong with my ears? You know, and that's really so many of the, uh, sort of like, that Teddy Geiger, John Mayer bunch for me, where, like, I think I am... So, oh, God, what was wrong with me? But I'm forgiving of certain records. I also, of course, had my angry piano woman phase. And now when I listen to some of the lyrics, like, you know, some of them are really great. And some of them still really hold up. Like, I don't think there's a bad lyric on When the Pawn by Fiona Apple. Beginning to end, that thing is just breathtaking. Uh, At the same time, 
sometimes I look at some of the Vanessa Carlton, for instance, that I was like, wow, this is so defining. I'm going to be listening to this in 50 years. And <laughs> I'm like, she's literally hitting off notes on this song. Like, literally, the notes are wrong. This wet, this, 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 they literally could have auto-tuned it right, and they didn't. What was I thinking? So I get it. I think yeah. I just, I think this band is mm. one of those bands that just like, we all have bands that sit wrong in our stomach. Like, yeah. and this is one of those sure. bands when I hear this shit come on in public, I just turn my headphones on so loud. They, I, yeah. I literally but, didn't like them before there was uh, an overabundance of them in my life. So I'm definitely the wrong guy for them. It, um, but I mean, going back to maybe the original thesis of now and again, boy, can this band take us back to 2006? Yeah, and that's that's really what's amazing. So many of the songs we talked about were just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it was there. Yeah, I mean, it was there. Yeah, this one certainly got a reaction out of both of us. You're like, hey, I don't think yeah. it's that bad. And I was like, hey, I would rather have somebody drive a nail through a testicle. And, like, that's definitely the reaction. Yep. It it, it really pulled up a lot of that, uh, that, that late Bush era, mid-college, bad at relationships kind of bile. And, like, I didn't expect it to, but, man, I... I'm right back there now. I need another ultimate Long Island iced tea. I can't deal with this. Well, we can we can honestly wrap this up because Saving Me by Nickelback, uh, you can keep it. It sounds like three of their other songs. And God damn it. Like, how many times can I say Keith Urban is a good musician, but this song sure sucks shit? Uh, say that five times fast. Uh, well, this song just is absolutely unlistenable. Like, this song is a self-parody. This song, I imagine, like, 2006 like a a john c Riley or a or a will ferrell like crying in like a funny scene in a movie like in his underwear listening to all by myself and like this is the song that's like playing behind that like, this song yeah, is just I so shit. really it's because it's i've you know you bring all and i mean all the country knowledge to the show and the most I have is I can talk about the differences between the, na- the international and the U.S. versions of Shania Twain's Come On Over. That's, like, literally all I know <laughs> about country music. I know country crossover existed. I know that Lady Antebellum thinks it's a quarter after one. They're a little drunk and they need you now. Someone should take away their phone and stop them from drunk texting. Should and that's do. all I know about – oh, and I know that Taylor Swift abandoned country music when she found out that the rest of the country has money, too. So that's literally everything I know about country music. Oh, there's a gay country musician, Steve Grand. I, I know like six things. I'm smarter than I thought. So I keep listening to all of this country <laughs> music that keeps coming up um, with you as a guidepost because that's the point of this show. We take turns helping support each other and, you know, filling in gap knowledge. And right. um, I just keep thinking the next Keith Urban song will be good. No, we're never going to get a good one because for them to pull something onto it now, it's got to be like the blandest thing. And he was by this point, ugh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know well enough. Like all of my knowledge is osmosis via my mother who loves Keith Urban. Like, I think if, if, if she's into him by this point, like he's probably onto that bland shit. Like we're talking like mid nineties, early two thousands, like still doing a ton of cocaine and probably like mostly still being in Australia, definitely not married to Nicole Kidman. Like... Dude knew how to shred a fucking guitar, uh, but he just he just became the mom country guy. Uh, but it's still less bad than like your Kenny Chessies and shit. I'll say that every time. Like, there's a lot worse in this field. We had honky tonk badonka donk last month. Okay, you know it can get worse. That is really, you know what? And like, I actually want to take a second. I 
I know I give All American Rangers a really hard time. Uh, like I've said, it just stirs some stuff, and I guess it's just like one of those things. After you have bad chicken, every time you have chicken, you throw up, right? Uh, I had some bad All American Rejects, and now every time I have All American uh, Rejects, I throw up, right? They're your and tequila like, band. That's that's sort of like an unfair reaction I have to something, and I, I just can't suspend it. It's just kind of who I am. But I am very clearly aware we could be covering much, much worse material than this right now. Because if we're in the era of uh, your Teddy Geigers and your Daniel Powders, we are getting dangerously close to your Colby Calais. We are... We are about to tow latte gaze so mm-hmm. hard. And I am going to become, I, like, seriously, and I, it sounds a little funny, you know, we're always taking pot shots at white people and I get to hide behind being, like, you know, half Latino. Thank you so much, dad. And that's super fun for me. But, like, I really do think that latte gaze was the moment I started turning on what white people like. <laughs> like, like I mean that seriously. I have this really clear memory of that of that look at my toes, then I look at my nose. Whenever it snows, my nose always blows song. Like that Colby Calais song that's I, I you make me smile and I'll walk a couple miles. Whatever it is. It's bubbly. Yeah, right? is it bubbly? Is that called bubbly? Uh, it's the only song I, the name of hers. It's gotta be it. I fuck the first time I heard that fucking song, it made me mad. That is a fucking I, it's song. another. It's because it's like bad day. It's another yeah. song where I feel like, again, she wrote that song. She made a million dollars. Where's my million dollars about a song about bubbles? You know, I don't have a million dollars for writing a song about bubbles. Anybody that ever wants to make fun of uh, Cindy Lauper for writing Shebop. Yo, Cindy Lauper made a million dollars for so- for singing about touching herself. When I touch myself, all I make is a mess. So <laughs> I'm not happy with my outcome on that one. And I feel like we... <sighs> I'm not even sure how to say it, but like, you know, and I think this isn't even a great, this is even a great way to end this now. We're really about to enter a dark time we're about to enter a time where I was able to slug it out, not liking the music on the radio, but because I was still going to college and I was still driving back and forth to school and I was still working in public places with modern radio stations. I was still making friends. You know, college was the time for that where you were still like meeting young people that had different perspectives. Now, I wouldn't say that my friends are specifically my age. My friends are sort of all over the spectrum that matches my life. My friends come from the avenues of life I pursue now not so much everybody in my same age range by location. So I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily having all of the youngest things reinforced, though, like I've said, Jonah kind of, Jonah sort of forces me to stay young. I have to constantly learn new things like snack and bop (laughs) and yeet and all these other fascinating phrases, fam. So Mm -hmm. I... All of that is making fun of myself, for the record. And uh, I know you can't use all of those words in the same sentence. That would be a flump. <laughs> I just made that one up, because the fuck any of you knew better. So, um, point of story. We're about to enter a period of time where the music is going to um, 
music's about to start that homogenization that we've talked about that leads to the uh, the great uprising of production over content. And I really, I know for how much I just ripped apart Move Along, Move Along at least uses like sevenths to engage my ears and drive me to emotional feelings. And that's good. We're about to walk into a period of time where music has no dynamics. Everything is very even across the board. Uh, Vocal performance is about to be strangled. Even even exciting things. Like, Christina Aguilera is about to have the greatest period of her career. The next Christina Aguilera record we're going to get is Back to Basics, which is going to feature Ain't No Other Man and uh, Candyman. And it's going to be all of these amazing retro pastiche songs really hitting big band in a dance music kind of way. It's really great. It's a double disc album because it's so big a concept. Well, no, there's a lot of filler on it. And frankly, the whole thing should have been a fucking EP. Even the really engaging dynamic stuff we're about to walk into using faces we know is going to be peppered with so much shit. We're talking about how we're coming close to Rihanna's best era, right? But we still have Unfaithful coming. We still have, and I don't mean it offensively, but 17 versions of Umbrella. Mm. Like, there are too many versions of Umbrella. And uh, because there's a Jay-Z version, there's a Chris Brown version, there's just her, and then every single... I think Umbrella might have been the impetus for satellite radio cover stations. Right? And, you know, I love Mandy Moore. I do not love Mandy Moore's white pain version of Umbrella. Oh, it's bad. It is maudlin. It takes all the love out of the song. And, like, it's cool. It's atmospheric. It's very the way trailers like to ruin songs now. Where, you know, any song... Like, I swear to God, like, we did the Macarena as a trailer song. Right? Yeah, and I think uh, that Umbrella is in that same category. So, you know, I I'm just sad that now 22 is, you know, your 21st birthday. Suddenly drinking's legal, so you get to pay three times as much for alcohol because until then you've always been drinking at home because one of your friends was old enough to get the liquor and got the liquor from the liquor store. So when you turn 21, really all that happens is now you get to spend three times as much on alcohol mm-hmm. and. So for your 22nd birthday, maybe you're graduating college, but like in this economy, likely not. (laughs) And it's your 22nd birthday, and last birthday you suddenly got to start spending three times as much on alcohol. And what do you do for 22? You, uh, well, you spend three times as much on alcohol, and there's no reason to celebrate. And that's kind of what this felt like. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's bad. But I I do still think, I I do have fond memories of this period in pop and I think it's gotta get better even before we get to Lady Gaga which is one of the milestones I'm waiting for another like mini milestone that I've been waiting for is Nelly Furtado's Loose and that is if not next it is it is very soon so it is very very soon yes so that should be fun that might even depending on how much of that is on now which I would guess maybe two songs I would guess it's gonna be like promiscuous and say it right Man, maybe that's it. 
say it right if I had to guess. Um, that might get a side episode, just us going through loose ten years later, more than ten years later. Um, that it might holds be an up really that might well because we've talked we've talked that album up so much, and I have not listened to it since I don't know maybe when did we see her two thousand seven maybe so I probably haven't listened to that album since like two thousand nine. Yeah, you know it really does hold up. I put it on every now and then. I do like the complete edition with all the cut songs from all the international versions. So like I listen to like like. Emotion. I listen to like a 32-track version of it. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, Nico, where can people find you? Oh, geez. <laughs> this is coming out at the end of March, so I believe our Kickstarter will have just come to a close, guys. Thank you so much. We were uh, fully funded in like a week, so that was really cool. We really appreciate it so much. Uh, if you want to check out any of the awesome stuff or maybe even pick up some of the stuff from the Kickstarter, head on over to KidRiotComics.com where you can check out our awesome inclusive comic about a gay Latino speedster and his amazing heroes like Riot and Riot Diva, the trans superwoman running around kicking ass and saving the day. Over 600 pages for free at KidRiotComics.com. You will be able to catch us next month at AwesomeCon, one of the biggest cons in the the country. Be sure to look out for us at BlurredCon, as well as a number of others throughout the summer. If you are into music, which I can't imagine you'd be into music if you listen to this podcast, check out Facebook.com slash ActionDuo where you can hear me make throwback R&B. Yes, I do make music that is as pretentious as my personality would indicate. Additionally, if you like the sound of my voice, and who doesn't, you might want to check out the other shows I'm lucky enough to have here on the Cage Club Network, like X's for Podcast, where Jonah, Kevo, Kyle, and I all take a look at the X-Men podcast, starting with Giant Size... We, wow, we take a look at the X-Men podcast. We take a look at the X-Men comic book franchise, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, and make our way through the misadventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants, or MCU.HTML, where Kevo and I lovingly eviscerate the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Lovingly. But still, we tear that thing apart like a cheap whore. So, if you enjoy me, you can also check out me being a cheap whore on Instagram <laughs> at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can see more of me than you'd ever imagine that wouldn't get reported. Chris, where can everybody check you out? At Chris Podcasts on Twitter. And uh, right around here on the old Cage Club network, which you should check out at cageclub.me. Give, uh, why don't you throw Joey some beer money and look at the Patreon, patreon.com slash cageclub. And if you like the show, the best thing you could do for us is give it a rate review on iTunes. Tell someone about it um, right into the mailbag, nowandagaincast at gmail.com. Especially if you really want to hear us talk about a specific Carly Rae Jepsen song because we've already announced that we're going to do a quick detour, a spring break, and for a couple of months do the Emotion podcast that we have kind of joked about since maybe episode one and not necessarily just do Emotion, but any Carly Rae Jepsen song. I think there's we're possibly going to be eight to ten episodes. Um, so if there's a Carly song you really want to hear us cover, write in, let us know. Maybe it'll happen. You know what? If you write hard enough and you wish with all your might and you dream about it and you pull teeth out from your mouth and you put them under your pillow and you find your favorite grandparent and you exhume their body and whittle their bones and make a cross out of it and pray to it every (laughs) night, maybe, just maybe, Carly Rae herself will appear on 
the show. And you can't tell me that it won't happen unless you do everything I just said. So I don't want to hear that I made any false promises that Carly Rae was going to show up unless you show me that grandma cross, bitches. And, um, yeah, the finale of Now and Again is going to be uh, a live stream of Carly Rae Jepsen killing me with a sword. (laughs) I want it so bad! And, and that is now 22. Next time we'll be at the tail end of 2006 with now 23, because that is how numbers work. And until then, we will catch you on the flip side. The world is a vampire. Sent to drain. Super destroyer.